At Capella University, education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. Right Night is a talk show with published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it, from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivart. Welcome to Right Night. We'll get to the topic and discussion in just a moment. For those listening to the podcast, we re-record the podcast on our live stream at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk. And we have a live interactive chat audience. You might hear the sound of the bell ding. And that means I want to interrupt somebody to read a comment or question. For those on the live stream, we won't read off everything you put in chat, but we'll try to get to the most relevant, the most amusing, or some combination of the both. Now, while we introduce ourselves, go in and let us know what you're reading, writing, or creating tonight. Okay, while chat puts that in there, we're going to talk to you guys. We have been on an odyssey of editing for three episodes now, where my editor, Tara, who I will have introduce herself in a moment, has joined me to go over a chapter of my latest novel, Silver and Smith and Doppelganger's Gate, book two of Silver and Smith Chronicles. One from the first act, one from the center of the book in the middle of the second act, and one in the beginning of the third act. So we're not getting straight to the climax, but we're entering that climax. We're going to try to get through this whole chapter on this episode, but besides Silver and Smith, I've also written Portals and many other series. Feel free to Check them out at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Travis Books. Tara, tell them a little bit about yourself and what kind of editing we're working on. Hi, my name is Tara Muller, and I am the Dreamer-in-Chief at Dreampunk Press, a small publisher's collective based out of Norfolk, Virginia. We're a group of authors that publish together. And uh, yeah, I'm a published author too. Um, I have been editing for Travis for several years now absolutely adore his writing and uh i basically usually am doing line and copy editing uh line editing is the term used more in manuscripts copy editing is for the copywriting or advertising um however i've been drifting into developmental comments here as well mostly because i absolutely love how this story is developing and and Tara, I've said it in the last episode. I'll say it again. I love when you give me developmental comments in the sidelines here. I have since the very first thing you've ever edited where you're like, I love this statement. That is so encouraging. Those few words make a difference. And by the way, for anybody who can't see, I am holding a bottle of Irish whiskey called Writer's Tears. As I have said through this whole trilogy of podcasts, I have been drinking this and I am on the Last bit for this. Let's try to get us, because this is a longer chapter. I don't know if we'll make it through, but we're going to try. So, I'm going to read anywhere from one to three pages, and then let Tara comment about some of the edits she made. Now, Tara, I see right here, we immediately have a huge highlighted area. So, do you want me to stop after I hit the end of that? 
Yes. Okay, I'm going to stop one chapter after that because the paragraph after that you rearranged it. So I'm going to hit that too so we can hit all that at once and then I can read a bunch. Okay? Okay. Okay. Works so, for me. So let me lean forward and get into my uh, reading stance, if you will. So we're entering the third act here. We're entering the climax. And they're headed for the final big showdown. Silver and Smith, the two main characters. Wind whipped past Silver and he pulled his arms against his side and dove, increasing his descent speed from the, speed from the sliver one to the streets of Nazca. He was buffeted from side to side, the currents clawing at his wingsuit. Worried about Hank, he looked over his shoulder to make sure the lighter woman wasn't taking a beating from the violent slipstream. Silver was astonished by what he saw. Hank soared. Gliding along the tumultuous air above the city, volcanic rents in the ground threw sulfur and flows of heat into the sky, colliding with the cooler air coming in off the ocean. But Hank took it like she had been born to fly. The woman never ceased to amaze Silver. Her graceful motions, sharp pivots, turns, and dives made the bounty hunter think of Hank's other nickname, the Hawk. It had been given to her because of her natural eye as a sharpshooter, but he had to wonder if any of her former schoolmates had seen Henrietta Smith in the air. A beam of purple, plasma-like energy sliced through the air, shattering Silver's thoughts. And I'm going to pause here to let Tara drop some comments. Um, so I have highlighted paragraph two through six, seven, six. Um, there are no edits in those paragraphs. Um, but I wanted to talk, and again, this is, I've been drifting in the, you know, my intention was copy edits and I've been drifting into the developmental, <laughs> um, mainly I think because to highlight what's so good in this book. And one of the things that I have mentioned is the relationship between Silver and Smith. Um, and this is a turning point, I think, for Silver. He is seeing Hank in a new light. Up until this point, um, he's been babying just a touch, right? a little bit, worrying and worrying that he's put too much on her. Um, you know, he's not doing enough. He's, he's, he's older, he's more experienced, whatnot. And here he's worried about Hank. He, it's right at the beginning here. Worried. He looks over his shoulder and it's like, why is he worried? Okay. You have Hank soaring. She's not having a problem. And he is. And the end of the. He is. Yes. And her nickname is already the Hawk. And we already know when we've gotten our backstory on how she got this nickname. And so it's an abbreviated version here because I'm not sure he knows the full of it. We know more as the reader about Hank's nickname, the Hawk, than Silver really does. We understand a little bit more. And so for us, the reader, we're like, dude, come on. 
you know, because we've been shared this in internal monologue with Hank already. Um, and it's beautiful that Travis doesn't go into that big thing because Silver doesn't know it all, but he tells us enough to remind us that he doesn't know the entire story because this is all Silver really knows about that nickname. And then, but this passage closes out with him using Henrietta Smith, her full name, um, which kind of emphasizes that he knows Hank, but he doesn't know Henrietta Smith. Right. There's more to this young woman and he is realizing it here. And I think this was, <coughs> oh, sorry. She's getting choked um, up, folks. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, oh, I love, well, I've already, well, not in this episode, but hey, I love and adore these characters. Um, because again, while he's observing, um, there's no sexuality in this. And and I've brought this up in, in the past two episodes, both that this is a very, it's, it's a platonic friend relationship. And at no point in time, is there ever a hint that there might be anything else? See. And in a lot of books, you get that. I love this about these characters. And while he's there, he's watching her soar. He's seeing she's graceful. And yet there's still just this awe and there's no, possessive points in here there's nothing but total and absolute respect for a new aspect something he didn't know about her he he, he expected her to be having problems he, he's kind of been doing like the trying to do the father thing um and he's recognizing here and i think you know and, and we get all of that in in five paragraphs see something i try to do so, as a writer here is here's something i'll tell other writers out there our gift as writers is empathy even if you haven't been in that situation, to be able to put yourself in that situation and see it from that point of view. And this is almost a double mirror and a, oh, what was that movie with with Leonardo DiCaprio? Inception. It's almost an Inception moment where as a writer, I'm empathetic, showing the empathy of Silver. We all remember, well, no, we don't all remember. This is the writer's gift. We don't remember being young and being capable and when we're older, we look back at younger people and we're surprised when they're capable. But so many of us were capable when we're younger, not experienced, but capable. And this is what I try to bring in with these different perspectives and empathy. Um, Werdewin says, romantic tension really annoys me, so I toss it into the boink right away, then make fun of it. Romantic tension has its place, but not in this book. Not in this book. Not in the there is a point of romantic teasing in both of the books, the two or three. Um, where And usually it comes up where the other character is teasing the other primary character about, hey, look at that. But it's not I between. Looking at that right. And, and there's points where Hank teases Silver and there's points where Silver teases Hank. And, and that's it. It's a paragraph. It's a moment. Because it's not part of this story, and it doesn't need to be. But that it's there mm -hmm. is okay to point out and go, look, it's there. Now let's move on with the story. Okay, mm -hmm. good to read on? Yeah. Um, let me – you had read through that next paragraph because I did some changes. Um, and again, that was making certain that 
things happen in order. Um, when you originally wrote it, you had that Silver's thoughts were shat- well, shattered as a beam of purple plasma-like energy sliced through the air. Um, again, that puts the, the reader, makes them have to rewind. Gotcha. So it's better to have it a beam of purple plasma-like energy sliced through the air, shattering Silver's thoughts. So, again, as a writer, beyond empathy, that's that one lesson we're looking at. This lesson is throughout these three episodes that we've put together with the three different chapters, I've learned about the word as, and I've learned about making sure you put things in order, even if it's in the same sentence, because that can break the reader's continuity and jar them out of the reading. You want to keep it smooth and flowing and in sequence as much as you can, unless you're looking to shatter that and pull them out for a moment for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, there are times when um, I don't change it because there's simply two things happening at the same time. Or if it's M dashes, then you are breaking that to interrupt it with this. Exactly. Or if you go into Um, that introspective five paragraphs. Right. Um, But what this also did is instead of it being we're shattered, you've got that shattering. It's action. It's happening then. So you've got that action happening with the reaction in linear. So Okay. Reading on till either Tara shouts stop or till I hit a point where it's reasonable. So I'm one to three pages here. Hank veered. Arcing between the crackling rays, purple lavender, pale lavender pulses. Pushing the pad on the palm of his glove, Silver activated the hover rounds on his shoulders, solar plexus, hips, and knees, and shot upward. Breaking through the thick smoke that roiled up from below, he saw the creature lumbering through the rubble of the city towards the other glyph. The creature lurched along the street, becoming steadier and more responsive to its environment with each plodding step of its thick legs. I'm going to interrupt myself here real quick. Last chapter, the big monster came out. And it's a very Cthulhu, Lovecraftian type monster. And I realize there's some negativity associated with Lovecraft at this point. But the, the darker monstrosities are still a fair point in writing. Thumbing the indicator on his glove, Silver sent the target to Hank's heads-up display or HUD. Now, you've got that highlighted. Do you want to talk about that real quick before I go on? Go on. Yes. Just use HUD. Did I use it previously in the book? Nope. I need to tell him what a heads-up display is. There's somebody that's not going to know what that is. It No, it stops. It stops the flow here. I've got a whole little thing. Uh, you cannot do it, but it, it makes it sound like a lecture. Read it. Read it. Read it. I just did. No, read it again. Thumbing the indicator on his glove, Silver sent the target to Hank's heads-up display or HUD. Mm-hmm. Right. You are narrating. You are lecturing the reader. But some people aren't going to know what the HUD is. How do I define HUD for them here? I don't think you do. I don't think you need to. How about the next HUD in the next sentence, I put heads up display and capitalize H-U-D. Uh, 
It's a common thing in sci-fi, and most sci-fi readers are definitely going to recognize it, but you always have the first-timer. I have people that read Portals, never had read fantasy before. See, and Wordowin suggests capitalize heads-up display the first time, use HUD the next time. I would almost say use HUD the first time and then capitalize it the second time. What do you guys... In, quick discussion here yeah see i know exactly what a hud is right <clears throat> and it's a head up display not a heads up display oh okay why don't you correct that part <laughs> because i don't think you should have heads up display in there at all i think you should just call it a hud any other opinions only from anybody? Mm -hmm. only what Tara, you said only. Did I? Okay. We'll set this aside for now. <clears throat> We're going to go yeah, on with I the mean, reading. And this is it something. Was just, yeah, it was, it was a suggestion on my price. I don't think you need to define HUD, um, mainly because it's, one, it slows down the action. You know what? Maybe I'll put um, sent, to tar sent the target to tanks, Hank's HUD the heads-up display blinking, a green indicator light in response. I'll, I'll figure this out. Um, there's a smoother way to put it. I do have HUD a lot in this word. When you can just see those capital letters all over the place. It's only those three paragraphs. So, yeah, maybe the next time use heads-up display capitalized and the third and fourth time use HUD. I'll work with it. I'll shift it around and see. <clears throat> okay. Just, it, to me, it mm -hmm. felt like you might be lecturing the reader a little bit the way it comes across. The way oh, it you is have there. that right there, too, in the comments. Okay. Yeah. So, agree. Oh, what did I? Hold on. Now it's clicking on things. Okay. A green indicator light flashed in response on his own HUD, and the two dove in unison, splitting apart to avoid being taken out as a single target. The attacks emanated from five city blocks beyond the monster near the portal geoglyph. Silver's HUD lit up with the origin point, and he zoomed in on the upper left quadrant of his helmet's face. I need faceplate there. Faceplate. Um, a face appeared in the green square on the HUD, and I could put read out there, Wordoin. I see where you're saying there's too much HUD. I hear you on that. I could put read out. It was one he'd seen twice before, framing the man who'd come to them in New York City. With When all this started, Xavier Green stared up at Silver. He nodded like he knew he was being watched. Silver watched as Green punched something into his CP. Yeah, I'll revisit that, Wordowin, because I definitely need some cleaning up one way or the other. Greetings, Mr. Jones. The words appeared below the man's image, in sync with... <laughs> that laugh, it won the hearts of millions. But behind the laugh was a shrewd businesswoman, a mother who sacrificed relationships, and a legend tormented by fame. Lucille Ball, America's funniest woman like you've never heard before. Join me, Ben Mankiewicz, for a new season of the podcast, The Plot Thickens, Lucy. 
Follow for free on Apple Podcasts and visit tcm.com slash podcast to learn more. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. And I'll, I'll take man's out there and put in sync with the emotionless, emotionless voice emanating from the helmet's earpiece. Now that I have your attention, please join me on the ground so we may discuss the next step of this joint in Denver. In Denver. Sorry, it's getting late. Silver jerked in surprise, swerving to one side and almost getting clipped by a chunk of architecture plummeting from a building. How did you get on this channel? Silver asked, the words converting to text automatically, sending to Xavier and Hank. Doesn't matter, Green answered in text and voice. But we need to coordinate if we want this to be successful. Come down and join me. I've sent the same... And I'll, no, he does not speak in contractions. I have sent the same message to Ms. Smith. They'd been compromised. The comms were a private encrypted channel, and somehow Green had gotten access to them. Hank landed on an outcropping of a shattered building that jutted over the broken landscape that had been Nazca City 20 minutes earlier. She caught Silver's eye by waving her arms overhead. She communicated that she'd cover him while he went down to talk with Green using hand signals. Probably need to put using hand signals at the beginning of that sentence. She'd cover him. Using hand signals, she communicated that she'd cover him while he went down to talk with Green. Yeah, I'll flip that. Yeah, that would work better. Silver targeted a landing zone near the man and circled downward, slowing and dropping to the shattered asphalt a few meters away from the agent of the Threat Assessment Incorporation. You shot at us! Silver stalked towards the agent. No, Green shook his head. I got your attention because the compromised communication network and the magnetic anomaly that has encompassed the area. I needed some way to get you to notice me. We need to stop that thing, Silver gestured at the alien behemoth as his graphene faceplate disappeared into his helmet, before it gets to the next glyph. No, Mr. Jones, Green shook his head. We need to allow this thing to do what it is supposed to do, then capture it. This is exactly the sort of thing we were hoping to find, and all the technology that goes with this process. What? Silver asked. Was this man asking him and Hank to stand aside while this thing destroyed a city that destroyed a city brought in an alien force? You want us to let it do whatever it is it's doing? Silver's stomach clenched. Exactly. Green nodded, his muscles rippling underneath his black uniform. When Silver had met with Green in New York City a few weeks back, the agent hadn't been muscular. He'd been thin and gaunt, like a cadaver of putty stretched taut. Even with the best personal trainers and steroids, it hadn't been enough time for the man to have changed from his skinny form to the one rippling beneath the jumpsuit he now wore. Silver's mind clicked through likely scenarios. The list was short, and only one possibility seemed to fit. We let it do whatever it is doing, 
Green continued. Then we apprehend it. All of our sources say it will be at its weakest at that point. I don't think so, Silver shook his head. Then you are no longer of use to us. Green's neutral expression shifted and rippled. The corners of his mouth stretched outward and Silver flinched backwards as he witnessed one of the weirdest smiles he'd ever seen. The agent's grin grew wider, splitting the man's face and the lips stretching into a thin line. The man's skin's the man's skin pebbled, and the beige shade of the flesh took on a verdant cast. The agent's eyes expanded, the whites disappearing, dark pupils bleeding outward to fill the enlarged glassy globes. Green spread his arms and splayed his fingers like he was coming in for an especially creepy and awkward hug. The skin on the agent's hands undulated and the man's fingers lengthened, the skin between the digits extending into fleshy webbing. The man in front of Silver was no longer human. Green hunched in a predatory pose and launched himself at the gladiator. Oh, I'm sorry, gladiator. I don't know where I got that word. I, I looked away at the bounty hunter. <laughs> The dark-skinned man spun to one side, pulling his glocks from the holster strapped to his thighs. Green swatted the weapons out of the bounty hunter's hands. I used that twice in a couple paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Stepping forward, he was in Silver's personal space before Silver could react. He used the name twice in one sentence. Claws sprouted from Green's fingertips, and the creature raked Silver's face. I'll clean that up. Yeah, and let's let's pause for a moment right there. I want to. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about two words that almost they they kind of mean this underneath and beneath. They mean pretty much the same thing, right? Um, you used underneath all the time. Okay, I changed a couple through here to beneath. So. Underneath, and I went, you know, and actually checked definitions to make sure that I was getting this right, means directly beneath, especially so as to be hidden. So if it's underneath something, it's like underneath the blankets, it's covered, it's hidden. Underground. Um, Whereas you're never pardon? underground, but you're never B-ground. Right. Um Beneath usually means like a lower position. Okay. Um, however, there still, when you look at the definition for beneath, it refers you to underneath. So they mean the same thing. So you can use them almost interchangeably. Now in this one. Um, because you can use underneath here twice correctly because okay. you're talking hidden, but you use the same word twice. That's fair. So I changed one, okay? And I changed the second one because in the first instance of it, um, Silver is just figuring out what's going on. At Capella University, education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. 
Visit capella.edu to learn more. Right. So it's still hidden from hidden. him what's going on. And that grade might not be. And then we go through his, he hadn't been muscular before. He'd been gaunt almost, you know. Um, and so it's not as hidden, which is why I changed the second use of underneath to beneath. Makes sense. Real subtle, but I wanted to address and a couple, and you'll see this in my edits. There's a couple of other places I changed underneath to beneath because either, again, beneath means um, in a lower position. So underneath doesn't really mean that. It means directly below, but not necessarily, you know, beneath if you're talking positional is a better word to use. Um, here, that's not the case. I just changed it because you were repeating the word and to kind of emphasize, you know, it's kind of not something we would really as a reader go, Oh, I see what happened there. But it does, right. you know, we do have that <laughs> understanding either if we don't not necessarily right there on the surface, um, you know, beneath the surface. Um, so I wanted to address that there. Makes sense. Just that there's slight difference and yes, you can use them pretty much interchangeably. Um, but then if you are using it repetitive, Think about it. Which one would make more sense to change? Well, if I keep it in mind with underneath, underground, that means under is unseen, beneath is below. So beneath, below, underneath, underground. For me, yeah, the underneath is usually implies it's something hidden. Yeah, that the, it's it's under right. something that is obscuring the blue, whereas right. beneath. Um, you know, it'd be beneath, you can still see it. But that'll be my uh, mnemonic to help me out. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Sighting through Sydney's scope, Hank caught movement. Adjusting the distancing mechanism, she saw the hand-to-hand -hand combat of the two men 30 stories below her. Something was wrong. Silver was pale, shaking and looked terrified, an expression Hank had never seen on the man before. It was like an ill-fitting shirt of desperation that she imagined smelled like old mothballs and musty things, metaphorically speaking at least, that had been long locked away. She closed her eye, pressed it to the scope, op opened the other and pivoted to look at the giant creature lurching towards the east. The beast moved with a rolling gait. Can I pause you for just yes. a moment, Travis? Go ahead. You stopped. Uh-huh. Paused after I. Do you need a pot? Like, I took that as she closed the eye that was already pressed to the scope because she's no. looking through the sight. That, that was a first reading. Okay, I just that, wanted to make yeah, sure. Okay, that was a raw reading right there. That was me trying to figure out okay. how I was writing it as I'm reading it out loud. Okay, I just I, I wanted yeah. to make sure because otherwise I I wanted to change it with you. No, correctly, yeah, that, but that would have been okay. the proper way to read that would be she closed her eye, pressed to the scope, opened the other, okay. and pivoted to look at the giant creature lurking okay. lurching towards the east. The beast. Moved okay, because that's how I I, read. I just right. wanted to make sure. Right. No, that, we... that's just raw reading. Yeah. It's unpracticed reading. Yeah. Okay. The beast moved with a rolling gait now, swiping at the people fleeing in terror with clawed hands. 
Cars were batted aside like children's toys with one hand. See, I used hand. I could just... Cars were batted away like children's toys. Flying through the air and crashing into building fronts. Dozens of bystanders were swept up with the other claw, their mangled bodies shoved into the hungry maw below the mass of writhing tentacles. Hank debated which situation needed her immediate attention, and I might comma there. Her partner or the hundreds of people being murdered by a marauding monster. Why not both? She'd call in reinforcements, that could drop an airstrike or something, then pop a few rounds into green and save silver. Again. She thumbed her CP to pull up the comms. The network was dead. The same channel that had been alive with chatter minutes ago was gone, wiped away. Scanning through the channel, she couldn't find a signal for anything. Someone or something had taken down all local communications, but that meant they had to be close. Switching through the various spectrums of her lenses, Hank searched for something out of place, besides the city being destroyed by a giant monster straight out of a Lovecraft story. Oh, and the volcanic activity in the streets below that tore buildings from their foundations. Hank turned her head slowly, scanning the area to find what had taken down the network. The spike in her readouts drew her attention. A burst of magenta splashed the interface and the device zoomed in on a figure. Among the wreckage of a coffee shop below, sitting at a laptop like the world was all in one piece and not falling down around them, sat a woman. One hand held a mug of steaming liquid, the other typed on a graphene keyboard. I might need to pull graphene out there because I, later I make this an antiqued laptop. Hank okay. pulled away from the sight on top of the weapon and blinked. Pressing her eye to Sydney's scope again, she spun the zoom dial with her thumb. Kiesia Gray, in all her bored yet commanding presence, sat at a tall table in the center of the cafe. Setting the cup of joe to one side of the machine in front of her, the woman smiled as she typed. The device was an older computer, the kind they used to bring into war zones back at, back at the end of the last century. A tough machine that could take a beating, but also woefully outdated. Pivoting to check on Silver, Hank gasped, and her finger reflexively squeezed Sydney's trigger. You need a moment, or shall I go on? Um, let's go ahead and just, there's a couple of little things. Uh, not going to take me very long at all to go over. Go on. So, um... And by the way, quick, while you're mulling this over, I hate it when my, I, I put three line breaks, in other words, enter three times between one scene and another as I switch pers uh, perspectives or whatever. I hate it when it's on a page break because then I can't tell it's a, it's a break. It drives me nuts. Go on. Yeah. Um, so back um, towards the beginning of this reading, when Hank first realized something was wrong with what was going on with Silver, um, you'd had it. Um, Silver was pale, shaking, and looked looked terrified. Period. That was an expression that Hank had never seen on the man before. 
Um, I changed it to a single sentence, which is Silver was pale, shaking, and looked terrified, an expression that Hank had never seen on the man before with an M dash between. Mm-hmm. To emphasize that um, she'd never seen that on him before. This was a different reaction for him that she'd never seen that. Um, and that is, is it's kind of stylistic. Um, there's nothing wrong with how you had it originally. Um, but when you read through it, read through pretty smoothly. Um, and I, again, I think it just helps emphasize that abruptness of, you know, she's observing and she's kind of caught up at the fact that she's never seen silver look like that before. Right. What else? Um, and that's a way to use that M dash when you're following with a reaction, you know, and aston- the, the, the kind of reaction to what happened before the M dash. Um, um, that's a bit of a, you know, we, we won't talk about verbs right now. Hmm. Um, so when you did talk about uh, the device was an older computer, the kind they used to bring into war zones back at the end of the last century, you stumbled. Yes. I changed into at. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're talking about a point, a, a specific point of time at that time instead of in. In would be in a period, like in a gotcha. in an era. Okay. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that, you know, to, yeah. to understand why I made that change. Because on the surface, it doesn't look wrong. But when you get into the particulars, when you're talking about you know, at a particular time. And yeah, it's a rough point of time at the end of the last century, but you're still talking about a something specific. Makes so. sense. Okay. Let's see what we can do another 15 minutes or so. Okay. Switching perceptions again, or perspectives. Um, Silver stumbled backwards, throwing his arms up to protect his face from the attack. The claws flashed again and again, and Silver realized that the thing in front of him wasn't attacking him. He was attacking the million-dollar tech suit he wore. The true odd had severed the flight suit's connection, shredded the bulletproof material that had no resistance to being cut. The creature knew the tech, knew what to incapacitate and what to ignore. These were the same type of, and that should be plural, beings that had tried to overrun Silver's home and had nearly succeeded. This is, again, a lot of... uh, There's hints throughout this book to Silver's background. And book three, Silver and Smith and the Time Raiders, will go more into that. Um, Silver fell to the ground and Crab crawled backwards, pieces of his flight suit falling away. His mind raced for a way to handle this fight, He'd faced things like this before, but it had been a long time ago and a world away. Pulling the K-bar from the sheath on one calf and a stun baton from the other, Silver scrambled to his feet. Brandishing the former, he popped the latter to its full length with a flick of his wrist, white lightning arcing up the shaft. I always think of penis when I say shaft, but whatever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fifteen on the inside sometimes. Um, 
Silver rocked back and forth across shards of stonework and glass that had fallen from buildings, stabbing the creature repeatedly in the ribs with his knife. The alien didn't seem to notice, standing over him and tearing at him. See, originally when I wrote this scene, I had him prone, and the creature probably shouldn't be standing over him anymore. Why, hello, Trim. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I just took that as the, the and I'm, I know I'm going to butcher the truad as just being taller. It might be. It, it might be. It might work just like fine. Your, your descriptions of green were tall and gaunt. Taller than silver. Um, yeah. Silver. And I think even if he's not completely prone on the ground, he's he's in a defensive posture still, mm-hmm. which means knees bent kind of this way, whereas the attacker is in this aggressive over. So I think it still works. Yeah, okay. like, like a he he's standing over, he's aggressive, he's pushing down towards um silver here who's in that Maybe, like I said, he's not necessarily prone on the ground, but he right. is in a defensive position. Yeah. So I the, think the it still works. The boxer stance where he's shoulder sunk. Yeah. yeah. The flight suit was destroyed and only the underlayer of Kevlar material had prevented the bounty hunter from being eviscerated. Sometimes the old ways are the best ways, Silver said through gritted teeth, jamming the electro baton into the belly of the truand. The creature stumbled backwards from his position atop the supine. See, this is where I've got him prone. Still. Maybe I did have... No, I did have him prone here. Okay, maybe I had him standing originally and I made him prone. So Silver surged to his feet. I think feet. he had him up and down. Yeah, because he, he crawled backwards. Yeah. Um, Silver surged to his feet, knife and baton at the ready, and took two steps towards his attacker, straddling the enemy in a reversal of a few moments before. The bounty hunter froze before he could bring his weapon to bear. Laying on his back... Green held a 15-centimeter-long tube of dull silver. The tip glowed purple, the same color as the blast that had almost shot silver down above the city. The creature looked up at the man from its back, a hysterical grin spreading across the alien face. With precise movements, Green waggled his index finger back and forth and tucked it under the trigger guard. See, I've got... I need to break this, you've made your choice human, to you have made your choice human, because he doesn't use contractions. Green hissed, but neither of us need to live with it. The muscles in the Truod's arm flexed, and Silver knew the shot would come in less than an eye blink. He'd seen so many forearms move in that same way, a moment before the attached hand pulled the trigger and ended some poor sap's life. The creature's grin widened, everything moving in slow motion in Silver's perception, and the hand tightened to balance the kick of the weapon. Green raised the alien firearm, the final centimeter for the killing shot, and the Truant's hand exploded. Good night, Trin. Thank you for stopping in. Here's to you. Chunks of flesh spattered Silver, who swore and flinched back, With a knee-jerk reaction, the military knife slashed down across the jugular of the enemy. Green pushed against Silver's ankle with his remaining hand, sliding out from under the man. The creature grabbed at its throat, choking, spitting yellowish bile and phlegm. The bounty hunter thrust with the electro-rod, pressing it to the enemy's chest. The creature looked up as its body... I'm sorry. 
its body spasm. It should be spasming at that point if we make those changes that you put in. Arcing in a contortion of pain. No? Nope. The creature looked up, its body spasmed, arcing him. Is that supposed to be looked up? Probably. Okay, because I took it as like his muscles were locked up, and then his body spasmed. No, it could be locked up. He's already looking up. The creature. And then the other happened, and then arching in a contortion of pain. Okay. Thank you for those points, Trina. No, no, you're good. I'm checking chat also. And uh, okay, coming up. Let's see how far are we close to the end. Let's see if I can. What I'm going to do? Yeah, we're page nine twelve. So keep reading. Okay. Choking and stumbling backwards. Maybe choking while stumbling backwards. The muscles of his torso and throat locking. Green move backwards. We got backwards in the two. Same sentence. Need to change mm -hmm. that. Choking. Choking and stumbling. Choking. choking, stumbling. The muscles of his torso and throat locking. Green move backwards. There we go. That's better. Oh. Yeah. Trying to fend off the continued attacks of silver. The bounty hunter sought lungs and vital organs, plunging his blade into the chest cavity of the attacker again and again. Whatever the anatomy, the stabbing had the desired effect, and Green crumbled to the ground, lying still. Silver pulled up his interface of his card phone, still refusing to think of it as a CP, and keyed in the code to link to Hank. New perspective for anybody not seeing the screen. The moment the armor's... Uh, sorry. The moment the creature's arm blew up, Hank turned back to her other pressing duty, swinging Sydney to pan across the devastated storefronts of the city. She found the coffee shop. Making sure I'm not doing word repetition. Sighting down the scope, Hank watched the woman work like... And I probably should define which woman... No, we got coffee shop. We're good. No, no, yeah. We're good, yeah. Sighting down the scope, Hank watched the woman work like it was any other day in the city. She could almost hear the clack of the keys as the woman tapped and pecked, not packed, supposed to be pecked, that's, that's, yeah. across the ancient okay. interface. The woman looked up, leaning forward to look through. And look should be changed to gaze or peek or something besides look. Um, through the shattered glass plate, shattered plate glass windows and up past the shredded awning, the woman smiled at the behemoth lumbering away from her, like she'd seen the sweet scene of a toddler taking its force, first steps. You think the instead of a there? Is this yes. the one you wanted to talk about? Yep. Go ahead, talk about that real quick. Because um, here, let me read it both ways. Yeah, okay. So originally I had, the woman smiled at the behemoth lumbering away from her like she'd seen a sweet scene of a toddler taking its first step. Tara made one small correction, which we're going to discuss. The woman smiled at the behemoth lumbering away from her like she'd seen the sweet scene of a toddler taking its first steps. Go ahead. So it, it's not a correction. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is an editorial suggestion. Mm -hmm. A sweet scene of a toddler taking its first step is any sweet scene. Whereas the 
implies something very specific and maybe a little closer to the personal, reader. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more personal. That makes sense. The makes it scene. specific instead of general. Okay. Exactly. <clears throat> Hank wanted to grit her teeth, huff out, huff a sigh out, and shake her head, but she couldn't. It would ruin her shot. She traced the fing she traced the trigger with her fingertip, then slid it across the flat surface, feeling the metal pull bar that she'd shaved down for finer manipulation. The cool, smooth surface was a friend that had been there for her since she was in her teens, since she'd been alone and ridiculed in private school for being too smart, plain, and polite. The other girls had hated her for getting good grades easily, for being nice to teachers. Once they'd moved to field maneuvers, she'd been mocked for being clumsy and not very fast. But then they'd started archery, and a few eyebrows went up. Switching over to target practice with a rifle, a lot of the teasing stopped when she clustered center with six out of ten, and only one out of ten missing the center mass. By week three, Hank would create a five-centimeter hole in the center of the target sheet's head. Skeet shooting with moving targets of clay discs being catapulted through the air with her hitting almost every single one had stopped almost all the teasing. Except for Melinda Rickenbacker, who'd caught her in the hall one day after classes and slammed her against the lockers. The girl had made it clear that Henrietta was nothing more than a low-class wannabe whose father was nothing more than some second-rate archaeologist not worth thinking about except to laugh at. The encounter appeared to end with Hank on the floor, crying and clutching her tablet to her chest. She hadn't even realized she was going to throw the device until Melinda's head snapped forward and the girl went down, her face smashing into the floor. The girl and instructors had already been calling her Hawkeye for her ability to track and hit anything, but the stories after that day changed it to the hawk. From what the other students said, she had screeched like a bird of prey, not screamed or yelled, but screeched a hunting call as she attacked the other girl with claws. Hank didn't remember any of that, just that professors and the janitor, Toby McMillan, had been Pulling her from Melinda, the other girl lay in a curled ball, crying and holding her head. Toby had given Hank a wink and called her Hawk, and the name had stuck. Hank wasn't picturing Melinda when she pulled the trigger, but the memory of that same smirk on the girl was on the woman's face in the cafe felt similar enough to call up the memory, that memory. The woman's gray skin form jerked when the round entered her cranium, Kiesha Gray shifted and twisted, her body transformed into something alien that resembled what Hank had seen when studying green through the scope before shooting his hand off. But different. The woman's head, after the change, was larger, but the body was smaller and more lithe. The bullet had missed her real head, instead passing through whatever illusion the woman had in place. One moment. I got a little kitty in the office. When the kittens call, you gotta answer. She needs her private time. <laughs> Warriorland, 
It's a fucking different branch of the same species, Hank muttered, touching her finger to the trigger and aiming lower for the color. But I bet they die the same. The next round ruptured the chest cavity, taking the creature in a glancing shot to her side, which she spun away, dropping to the floor of the cafe. Chiesa shifted, whatever illusion or skin that had concealed the true form falling away. The smaller, gray-skinned body writhed in pain and punched at keys of the computer that had been pulled from the table. The screech of the monstrous alien Goliath echoed off buildings and flailed against the skyscrapers around it. Hank switched tactics. Sending out a distress call to anyone who could hear it, I'm sorry, I feel like there should be a comma there after tactics. Punching in the code to send out a missive to call in an airstrike from local authorities or anyone else. You know what, I think this is one of those things where it was one big long sentence and I put the periods in to break it up. I didn't have a problem with the periods. Okay. After like Hank switched tactics and you said maybe that should be a comma. Um, no. She switched tactics, which means she stopped one, started another, and that period's going to help emphasize that to the reader. Okay, maybe I Sending need... out a distress call to anyone who could hear it. Um, and then she punched in so the code. Maybe Change, make put the comma in here. Maybe tenses. She sent out a distress call to anyone who can hear it. She punched in a code to send out a missive. Because I've I've got present tense on these and there's there's no follow through on it. Um right. But what I would do like is rewrite it. Sending out a distress call to anyone who could hear it, comma. She punched in the code to send yeah. out a missive to call it an airstrike. That's fair, yeah. yeah. And we're almost done with this chapter. Well, hello, Kennedy. Give us just a moment. We're almost finished up with this chapter. Good to see you. And by the way, Kennedy is one of the uh, gentlemen that put a story into one or more of your anthologies. Uh, Joseph Kennedy. Yep. So, it does. I agree, Wordwin. Missive threw me off as I was reading it. I, I think maybe message is just better there. Or just punching in the code to send out a call. For an airstrike instead of missive. Yeah, to send so, out a call for an airstrike. Yeah, I, I agree, Wordwin. I liked the missive, but. I, I don't think it fits with the mood, with the tone, with, with the flow. I, I agree, it's a bit. Mm. Her screen blinked a failure notification, reiterating that the network was down. There would be no help coming. No one would answer the call to drop munitions or missiles on the attacking creature. Ireland. Fine, Hank growled. Be that way. I didn't need your help anyway. Hank threw herself off the building, slapping her suit's hover rounds to launch herself into the air. And that's the end of that chapter. So. So, let's see. Wordwin, I don't think plea works right there because... Hank is in no mood to beg. She's pissed. She's done. She's doing what needs to be done. Tara, any closing thoughts on all this? And then we'll wrap this up. Um, 
you know, just kind of running through to see if there was anything I really, um, I know on that last page, um, there were a lot of ases mm. that I changed to um, the Garen form of the following verb in order to yep. keep that momentum going rather than the reader having to like, you know, kind of stop and put it back right. in. Um, most of it there, I did change one as to when simply because, you know, so you weren't right. having that repetition of as, um, and then when kind of implies a reaction to something as well. Right. So when, uh, Kaisia, uh, spun away, all right, instead of as she spun away, when implies reaction to something, vice it just happening. Kiasia. Um, Kiasia, yeah. And I only know um, that because I've, I've had a half dozen Kiasias that I've spoken to at work. Um, wow. So that's what I just wanted to kind of talk about in, in that little bit there. Um, taking out, you know, when you want the the action to keep going to keep going to to pick up that that pace um if you've got too many as in there it's a pause and right. you don't want that so uh nope the as is the abbreviated version of as he did as she did it's just mid-sentence instead of end of sentence yeah. and by the way uh Wordwin demand is a fairly reasonable word to use there because she is feeling a bit uh, not. Uh, and uh, Kennedy says she's hankering to kick some tail. <laughs> I, I think in, in this scene, we get to see a little bit of Hank losing her objectivity in the other scenes, in the other two chapters that, um, we've gone over um, in the other two episodes, we saw instances of Hank being able to take that step back, very calmly assess the situation um, and make a very logical choice in what could be an emotional situation. This is not an instance of that. She's trying to. She's overwhelmed. She's trying to step back a little bit. She's trying to find the objective view and she's getting frustrated because she says, in those other instances, when she took her plan and she came up with a plan and she took the action, it did exactly what needed to happen. And that's not happening here. And so we're seeing that little bit of anxiety, that little bit of frustration come through here. Um, and that's in some of those word choices there. We're seeing that there. it's the first time we see her actually kind of swear a couple of times. It's true. Besides so, when she's arguing to bring out emotion in Silver that he's buckling down on and trying to hide. But this is, she's swearing to herself here. Right. So right. this is an actual true, you know, not to get a rise out of Silver, but because this is to get a rise out of nobody. She's speaking to herself. It's almost like, and if you look at when she uses that in the past to get a rise out of um, Silver, an emotional rise, um, when she does that here, is it to invoke an emotional rise out of herself because she's recognized she might need that in this situation because that objective stance is not working for her. She takes that objective, she figures out what to do, and it doesn't work. 
And that is something the reader can determine for themselves. And different readers will read it different ways. And right. that's fair. The reader reads they're, they're not going to take that critical, oh, look at this. Now she's swearing to herself and it's doing, right. no, it's just kind of, um, they're going to get that sense. They're right. going to understand what's going on, even if it's not something that they can, they can objectively right. as a reader sit down back They, they and will say, go, hey. oh, she's pissed now. And some might go exactly. you know, one way, and, but they all understand what's happening. Yeah. Okay, let's wrap this up. Tara, as I've said, do you have more before we wrap this up? I'm uh, just checking over my notes to make sure. And no, I don't. I've got, I hit everything. Okay, on let's this wrap chapter. this up. Tara, again, I have so much enjoyed this because I get to hear the things that you don't necessarily put into the edits. And it's been delightful. And hold on a second. I'm going to switch over to this other screen here. So for those on the podcast, you'll hear my transition noise. That's it right there. Okay. So for everybody else that joined us, thank you so much for joining us over these past three episodes where we edit this. I'm so looking forward to hearing people's feedback and thoughts about the process or the writing or both. So, Tara, this was amazing. And we will catch you on the next couple. I believe the next couple we will be working with Aaron Kennedy. So we'll talk about more on the next episode with that good night guys let's get some outro stuff here and we will catch you again next time before we go i want to remind everyone that you can email us at rightnightshow at gmail.com that's right with the w night with an n show at gmail.com to let us know your thoughts on the show's topics suggest other topics you'd like to hear us discuss or just have a message read out on air to someone in your life thanks to everyone for supporting the show by downloading the podcast sharing it on social media grabbing some shirt stickers and mugs from bit.ly slash tavern merch or barware patches and hats from bit.ly slash tavern merch too that's bit.ly slash tavern merch or tavern merch followed by the number two thanks to everyone who joined us live at twitch.tv slash travis tavern talk and everyone who supports the tavern by subscribing hosting throwing bids raids and most of all commenting thank you for joining author travis i sivar and the other writers content creators and all around amazing people for our discussion here on Join us again soon, and until you do, make sure you create with passion, enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right now. Slaying TV, built to save you money and bring you the channels you love, including ESPN, AMC, HGTV, and more. Watch your favorite comedies, dramas, suspense thrillers, news, sports, and more for just $35 a month. And your first month is only 10 bucks. Sign up now and start streaming right away on your TV, phone, and tablet. Take control of your TV solution with Sling. It makes TV flat out better. Go to Sling.com to sign up now and get your first month for just $10.